You'll have to forgive my voice here. I was actually just telling a brother before the service. No, I think it's almost 100%. Uh, maybe not. Keep me in your prayers. If you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to the prophet Hosea. Once again, the prophet Hosea. We return to this wonderful prophet after a couple of weeks uh, looking at other texts. Prophet Hosea chapter 2, and our focus text this evening is going to be on verses 2 through 13. 2 through 13. And if you need help finding where Hosea is, it's after the prophet Daniel. Daniel. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, join me again in prayer. <clears throat> o great and gracious God, we come again to your word this evening, thankful for the spiritual food that it is, thankful that you fill us to the full with your word, with your truth. We thank you that you show us the Lord Jesus vividly in every page of Scripture. We thank you that you give us great comfort and hope. We thank you that you reveal yourself, your decrees, your will, even your wrath, your judgment, your justice, your righteousness and holiness. No, oh Lord, we do pray that your Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to see the glorious things that you have for us in this text. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the infallible, and inerrant word of God written for you and for me today. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry, for their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and will wall her in, so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but will not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time, and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linens, given to cover her nakedness. 
Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says the Lord. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear the word of God. Well, beloved in Christ, the living, holy God upholds his righteous standards and requirements for his people and is good and just in holding us to account. How gracious and merciful he was to his people of old and, and is to us today, for we are all too often adulterous people, turning our backs on God wandering or even running after idols of our own making, even if our chase lies within the bounds of our hearts and minds. We've seen how God gets right to the point as he begins this prophecy through Hosea, haven't we? He begins with setting the stage, getting a vivid, real-life, visual picture of his people's sin right in center focus before our faces. As Hosea married Gomer, the harlot, and they had three children together. If you recall, the names of their three children had significant meaning. And as they all depicted aspects of what would be true in God's judgment that would be brought against Israel, each one of them should stick vividly out in our minds. The Lord would scatter them. His compassion would be withheld from them. His covenant relationship with them tragically severed. Yet we are reminded towards the end of chapter 1 that in the midst of wrath, God remembers mercy. Though Israel would be judged and taken into captivity because of their sin, there would be covenantal reconciliation. Remember God's words in verse 10b. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Further, what else would happen? God said that there would be restoration between the remnants of Israel and Judah together. He said this in verse 11, where he said that then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. Now remember how this promise of restoration was partially fulfilled when those remaining in the north were joined with those in the south under King Hezekiah. We see this in 2 Chronicles 30. But we find the ultimate fulfillment, the grand fulfillment to be in Jesus Christ, don't we? The Apostle John teaches us in John 1, 10-12 of the reconciling work of Christ in his church. 
John says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And further, the Apostle Paul quotes Hosea 1 in Romans chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, as he speaks of Christ reconciling the vessels of mercy, the, the elect Jews and Gentiles together in the church under one head, the one head, the head and king of the church, Jesus Christ, and reconciling them unto God. And so as chapter 2 here begins with the familial, the familial call that will in time return to the people to say to their brethren, Ami, or my people, and to their sisters, Ruhama, mercy is shown. God now enters into more details regarding the coming judgment against his adulterous and his unfaithful people and the reasons for it. So let's consider God's call for charges to be brought in verses 2 through 5. Israel's fruitless chase in verses 6 through 8. And God's promise of punishment in verses 9 through 13. So we first hear this divine call for charges to be brought. Look at 2a. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges. For she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Beloved, Hosea draws the connection here between Gomer's adultery and Israel's adultery. See how the familial language of brethren and sisters now proceeds to your mother. Bring charges is a legal term that points to an accusation or grievance. We're brought here into God's courtroom, his court of law. Here, this term also includes an encouragement to reverse the cause of the grievance, which was Israel's spiritual adultery. My friends, this is similar to how our church courts should function today. A charge or charges can be brought against individuals regarding sin. The goal of that charge being brought is ultimately repentance and reconciliation and restoration. And so who does God say this mother is? Who is he referring to? He's referring to Israel. Specifically, the church of the ten tribes, the body of the people who were brethren, and in a special manner with the heads and the leaders there who were as the mother by whom the rest were brought up and nursed. God's words and actions in verse 2 are, are very similar to his words in Isaiah 50, verse 1, where he says, Thus says the Lord, Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors... Is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves. 
and for your transgressions, your mother has been put away. Beloved, Hosea declares the just reason for God's charge here. He says, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Israel's sin severed the covenant relationship with the Lord. However, he sought to restore it. And therefore, God called upon her children to bring charges against her. He called upon the godly among the people who, who witnessed the sin to rise up and to bear witness against the idolatry and the corruption. You know, it's, it's good and right for people to rise up and properly plead before the Lord in love against sin and the, and the profaning of God's name or worship in the church. That is a good, it's a, it's a right thing. And it's needed and necessary. But then what is the remedy and goal here? It's repentance, isn't it? It's repentance. Look at verse 2b. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. See how God calls the godly to seek to persuade the people to repent and change. To repent and to turn back to God. Israel needed to know that it was possible for her to reform by the grace of God. She could turn from her adultery. She could turn from chasing after her lovers and making idols. She could and must part from the idols that she held so dearly. If Israel repented and turned to God, it would be well with them. They would be the recipients of blessing from the Lord. And so does the gospel call to sinners and their need to repent and turn to Christ go forth today. Now what would be the, the consequence if she didn't? If she didn't repent and turn to Christ, what would happen? Look at verse 3. Lest I strip her naked and expose her, as in the day she was born. And make her like a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. We've heard much about wilderness in Scripture, haven't we? Much about the dry and weary land, the thirsty land. That's what the Lord would make her like. God would expose and shame her in her sinful nakedness. He, he would remove his gracious provisions. She would be like a barren wasteland. Israel would be deprived of the necessities of life. And hear God's words to Jerusalem in Jeremiah 13, verses 22 through 26. He said, if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon you? For the greatness of your iniquity... Your skirts have been uncovered, your heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Therefore I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord. Because you have forgotten me and trusted 
and falsehood see the connection here with Hosea. Remember at the end, but they forgot me, says the Lord. Verse 26, Therefore I will uncover your skirts over your face, that your shame may appear. Consider also Ezekiel 16, verses 35 through 39. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your harlotry with your lovers and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children which you gave to them, surely therefore I will gather all of your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them from all around against you. And will uncover your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. And I will judge you as women who break wedlock or shed blood are judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes and, and take your beautiful jewelry and leave you naked and bare. Again, hear the connection with Hosea. Hear the connection with what Israel and her chase was wanting to do. We'll look more at that specifically in a moment. Oh, the, the, the jewelry, all the things that I have are from my lovers. This would be Israel's lot because they forgot God and trusted in idols. And therefore, they, they would be exposed and shamed by God justly and rightly, just like a skirt being pulled up over a woman's face, just like being made naked in front of her lovers and enemies, notice. This wasn't just the people that she was intimate with in a loving relationship, in a sinful loving relationship. Her lovers and enemies, this would happen in front of great shame. Great shame. And God said through Hosea that the consequences would go beyond her, didn't he? Her children would also be affected. Look back in Hosea 2, verses 4 and 5. And I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She, she who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. So as Israel looked to the Canaanite fertility gods, which was what truly was going on in the detail. As they looked to the Canaanite fertility gods to provide for the needs of life. God's love and mercy would also be withdrawn from the children who, like their mother, were charged with promiscuity. And what were the details of Israel's reasons to pursue the arms of other lovers? Because of what they promised. And she believed that they would give her the necessities that she desired. They would give her what she wanted. As if God was or had been deficient and negligent in doing so. 
But that was not the case. And yet, what was true? God provided for all of Israel's needs, and then some. He, he was abundant in his provision and providence for them, just like he is for the church today, in and through Christ. Abundant riches coming out of the storehouses of his grace upon his people. Blessing upon blessing. But that's what the lures of idolatry and adultery do, don't they? They deceive by saying, he can't truly give you what I can give you. Come over here with me and enjoy my love. For he's not truly loving you as you deserve. Or maybe something like, God has failed you. But I'll provide for your every need. Come over here. And yet when the scales are removed and the hook of the lure is removed from our cheeks, we see crystal clear that all idolatrous lovers are but counterfeits to Christ. See that tonight. All idolatrous lovers are counterfeits to Christ. For what is true, look back at what she thought, what Israel thought, and what she thought that she gained from her lovers. But she said her lovers gave her, right? The bread, the water, the wool, the linen, the oil, the drink. But what is true? Jesus is the true bread of life. See that in John 6.35. He fully satisfies our hunger and our thirst. He is the fountain of living water, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Christ provides for all of our needs and clothes us in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That is what's, what's true. The true and the living God, the true and the only Savior of God's people is the true and the complete and the ultimate provider for us. He's faithful and true in all of that, lacking nothing. How easy is it to be tempted to think that he's not? And so was Israel's chase after her lover's fruitful. The answer is a very wildly no. And because of the Lord's hand, which was a mercy and a grace. Look at verse 6. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her path. Beloved, Israel went on the chase. She chased hard every way that she could and could think of. You know, clear paths to and from different places give us access to the things that we desire, as well as give others access to us. See how God would close all of that up. He would metaphorically block the paths with thorns. No passage. No entry, no leaving, no success. He would put walls up so that they couldn't even find the path. And yet she would try and try again, wouldn't she? Look at verse 7a. 
She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Israel's chase would indeed be fruitless. And yet, what is true of Christ? We are to seek Him with all of our hearts. And we will find Him. We are to knock and the door will be opened. We will find the Lord Jesus by His grace and His care and His love for us. The way for His people is open. As are His arms. But as we see this fruitful chase being true by God's design, He would bring Israel to her spiritual senses. Look at 7b. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then, it was better for me than now. Beloved, the greener grass on the other side is never green as it looks. It's never truly satisfying. For we're often deceived by its luster. What it promises, it can never truly give like God gives. The prodigal son came to understand and to return to the love and care of his father after a season of debauchery and sin, having been brought low and to nothing, not truly finding what he was looking for in others and other things, wasting his inheritance and his gifts, wasting what his father had given him, and so, my friends, we must cling to Christ. We must cling to Christ and by His mercy and grace be fully committed to never taking a, a, a foot or a step off of Him that is the rock. We must cling to Christ committed to having eyes only for Him. He is the one we seek after. We have no need and must not chase after other lovers. But we must have eyes only for Him, being ever thankful for Him. He is enough. He is wonderfully sufficient. We need to be thankful for His bountiful gifts and care. Well, that's really what the Lord says here, right? As he opens Israel's eyes to, to see the truth. She says, yes, I'll go, I'll return to my first husband. Look at verse 8. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared well, but sin, Israel not only sinned in turning her back on God, but she failed to recognize the good giver of what she had. 
They then treasonously, treasonously used what God had given to do what? Prepare them for Baal? And the worship of a dead and worthless God? How dare they? Blinded by sinful lust and what they thought another could give that God cannot. That was a deadly nature of idolatry, beloved. So what is Baal? I'm sure you've heard Baal mention that name in the scriptures. What is Baal? We, we know the accounts of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings, Kings 18. However, know that Baal isn't the name of one false god, but more of a title designating a false god that is the head over other false gods. Baal worship was essentially a fertility cult involving various lewd rituals believed to ensure the, pro the productivity of the land and agricultural cycles. And scholars note that it was a religion for profit, worshiping in order to procure things for living. Again, you can kind of see the promise there then, right? That deceptive promise. Oh, no, my, my lover. Right? Baal gave me the, the wool and the linen and the, the food and the drink. Though the false god Israel regarded as Baal isn't made known specifically, what is important is to recognize that Israel's pagan neighbors influenced them to worship a god of their own design and making. And because Israel made such a chase, what would God do? Look at verse 9. Therefore I will return and take away my grain. She, she did not know that I gave her these things. Now she will. And I'm going to take away what is mine, what I gave her. It's my grain in its time, and my new wine in its season. And will take back my wool and my linen, given to cover her nakedness. That's important. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause her mirth to cease, her pleasure, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. So note several things here, and what God would do. See how the Lord gives and he takes away. And this isn't in the sense that Job intended it. When he said those words, when he says the Lord gives and he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. No, this was in punishment. See how his taking away what he had given is in the context of that. And though Israel truly depended on God and his fruitful harvests, they misused his fruit. They used what God had given for their good, for sin, for evil. And so those things would be removed from them. See the reason, secondly, that God gave them his wool and linen. Like he did for Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he do? He, 
He gave this to them to cover their nakedness. In his divine judgment and punishment, that would be taken away from them. They would be exposed. They would be uncovered. And no one could stop God from doing that. No one could deliver them from his hand. And that was exactly what needed to happen. They needed to experience the shame and the exposure of the sin that they had committed against God. But finally, see the removal of pleasure and feasting and the rest that God had given them. Remember, Israel had begun to to use the festivals in ways that God forbade by, by trying to intermingle the worship of God and Baal together in them. I mentioned this in the first sermon and kind of introducing the book. They, they tried to enter into syncretistic worship, trying to combine the worship of God and Baal together. Such a beast, an ugly beast. And yet God is jealous of his holiness, Right? He is jealous of his worship. He alone must be worshipped and none other. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says finally in this section, And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest. And the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lover. She gussied herself up, metaphorically. She wanted to look nice and attractive for them. But me, she forgot. And it's the Lord. What an offense that should raise in our hearts and minds to forget the living God and turn our backs on Him. To hear others who have done that, that should be offensive. Tragic, it's sad, but me, she forgot, says the Lord. Again, God would destroy the things Israel misapplied as gifts from her lovers and when they were truly gifts from God. He would punish and discipline her for forgetting him. May that be a lesson to us. And so I'll leave you with this this evening. Do you have other lovers in your life? What lovers do you chase after? Be committed tonight to abandon them all. Every single one of them. Never forget that because God is holy and righteous and just, he hates sin and detests when his people turn their back on him in spiritual adultery and idolatry, having given into it, breaking our covenant marriage relationship with him. And as God brings judgment against sin, as as judgment begins with the house of God, he, he does what is needed and necessary to address, to to bring to light, to expose the details of the odiousness of our sin, and to deal with it all. 
by calling us to repent and to abandon and to put all sin to death, turning to Christ, turning to Christ in faith and humility, seeking His forgiveness and reconciliation. He does what is necessary, even if that means that He takes us to the bottom. He does what's necessary, even by removing divine gifts that we depend on to wake us up, causing us to abandon our pursuit of our own lover, drawing us to remember him, to return to him. He does what is necessary to sanctify us, growing us in purity and holiness, restoring purity and holiness in his church, in Christ. And so run hard after Christ, beloved. It's Him. and Him alone that we must seek. He provides for all of our needs. More than we need. More than we could ever need or desire. Truly and really. Be committed to deal strongly with and not play around with temptation and sin. And praise and thanks God for His mercies and grace in your life to, to teach you, to mold you, to shape you, to grow you in strength and courage, to be able to fight the temptation and flee from it, to be able to cut off and abandon those lovers that may rise up and woo your attention. Praise God and thank Him for His mercies and grace as He conforms you more and more to the image of Christ. Oh, how good and wonderful Jesus is. How sufficient He is for us. And all that He is, and all that He has done, and all that He provides for us as His people. May God grant us grace to be faithful and obedient, to love Him as we are, and serve Him as we are. Praise the Lord.